briefly, for those of you who are not familiar with the Migration Observatory, we're a new project of Compass, formally launched um, at the beginning of April, and uh, the purpose for our existence is to contribute uh, independent analysis of data on migration and, it, and its impact in the UK to, to the public debate. Uh, if you go onto our website, you'll find uh, lots of briefings, uh, data charts, policy primers, and commentaries on current policy issues. We will also occasionally publish uh, longer reports, and uh, today we'll present uh, the first report that we published just a week after our launch, which focused on what we describe as the key problems in the evidence space for making decisions on immigration and for debating immigration in the context of the UK. So we'll run through a list of 10, of 10 issues. We call them the top 10 problems. They're numbered for convenience. There's no scientific way of establishing this list. We have an expert advisory board that has inputted in the compilation of the list. And I should also say we have had very useful feedback from ONS and uh, from the Home Office when we wrote the report. I, I also, just by way of uh, introduction, should say that the, the problems that we identify arise from three types of issues. Either there's gaps or limitations in data. Sometimes we have no data on an issue. Sometimes there's gaps in the analysis, and sometimes we have uncertainties in the conclusions emerging from the evidence or from the analysis of, analysis of existing data. Now, I want to make it quite clear that obviously it's unrealistic to expect any government to have complete information about all the issues that we raise. Collecting data is, is costly, complex exercise. Uh, there are all kinds of data protection issues that arise from sharing databases across different government departments. So we're not suggesting that, that it's realistic to expect to have complete information, but we do think that the issues that we identify are important for policy debates, particularly because a lot of the policy objectives that we see discussed at the moment are pinned to very specific numbers. And so it's very important to discuss how uh, reliable the underlying evidence really is. Scott and I will, will share the presentation. We'll each cover five issues, and uh, Scott will start. You, you all have the report in front of you and the, the printout. The report will uh, have more detailed explanation on each of the points. OK, thanks, Martin. So I'll start with the first three, and then you'll hear from me again a bit later. So as we all know, annual net migration is perhaps the most talked about statistic in the whole migration debate. It's a key policy target for the current government, and net migration is inflows minus outflows, people coming in minus people going out. And so the first problem or limitation we want to talk about is our measurement of outflows. There is only one source used to measure people leaving the country to emigrate, and that is from a sample survey called the International Passenger Survey where people are interviewed at airports and other ports of exit from the country on their departure. And this, is, this captures tourists, people leaving for all kinds of reasons, but also a certain number of, of migrants, about 5,000 migrants a year, some of whom coming in, some of whom are coming out. And there are a number of issues with sample surveys. There are great tools, but none of them are perfect. Every sample survey comes with a margin of error. You see this reported with public opinion polls, plus or minus 3%. Our counts of both inflows and outflows through the International Passenger Survey is no exception. So there's a rather largish margin of error for these numbers that we usually hear presented in the media 
as sort of single point estimates, a single number. Uh, what we actually know is a range within which we're about 95% confident that the total for that year for inflows and outflows lies within this range. So that's what we've tried to depict on the chart. The, the top green bar or line is inflows, the black is outflows, and then the dotted lines represent the range of uncertainty. So it's about 50,000 per year on average across the series is the plus or minus figure for outflows. So a significant amount of uncertainty. And then the ONS goes to great lengths um, to have good coverage in this survey and to try to avoid problems with people refusing non-response. There are these other sources of potential bias as well in any survey. And a problem, particular problem for measuring outflows is that there's no population figure to check it against. So if you do a survey of public opinion, you can tell if your demographics are a bit off. You can compare it to the census. But there's no uh, established figure to check outflows against. So we can't be any more certain sort of than this. As far as inflows, sort of the opposite problem. We have almost too many sources, and the problem is that they don't agree with one another. Um, so we have the official estimates come from the IPS, and then we can count the number of visas issued and also compile from the landing cards that people fill out at Heathrow and other ports of entry, get an idea of how many of those people coming in are migrants. And we see from this chart that there are more entries than visas and somehow, and there are more visas than migrants that we're counting in LTIM. And some of the reasons for these discrepancies uh, we can at least guess at. One is that the IPS only counts people who meet the definition of migrants, that is, they're intending to stay for at least a year. And the administrative sources don't make this distinction. So a, a good bit of it could be short-term migration, but we wish we had better ways of sort of making sure that that inference is correct. And then when you add it all up, we have net migration. So again, a problem of different sources with differing results. We have estimates that LTIM is based on the International Passenger Survey. Um, we can also compare this to changes in the migrant population by year using what's called the Annual Population Survey. It gives you a count of the stock, but you can get a sense of the flow by just subtracting last year's from this year's. And these can be uh, pretty well aligned in a given year, or they can be off in the last five years. They've been very close at times and off by 60 to 70,000 at times. And they're, they diverge sort of unpredictably. It's not that um, one overcounts or, yeah, and the other undercounts. Um, now, the APS is not designed to measure migration, so there are other factors that you need to adjust for to get a better measure of net migration from it. It doesn't count births and deaths and naturalizations. So we shouldn't expect a perfect match, but the, the unpredictability of the discrepancies is what's a little bit worrying here. Now, a fourth issue that we think is quite, quite important is that we don't have any systematic and reliable information about the immigration status of migrants, of the stock of migrants in the UK. Of course, we have information from ONS and from uh, the Home Office about the number of migrants coming in under different categories. So, you know, as workers, as students, as family members. But we don't know from the data on the stock of migrants in the UK, for example, Labour Force Survey, how these people have come in. So now, that, that is important because a lot of policy change that we see targets specific groups. For example, we have seen policy change about Tier 1. And there's a concern that uh, tier one migrants who are supposed to be highly skilled work in low-skilled jobs. 
Now, we don't actually have a systematic way of checking that, because if you look at the Labour Force survey, you cannot identify who the tier one migrants are in that survey. You can try to do some analysis using proxies, but it's, it's very difficult. Similarly, uh, if you're concerned about family, it's very difficult to find out the characteristics, skills, employment patterns of migrants who've come in under the family route, again, because they cannot be easily identified with the existing data on, on the stock of migrants. So I think that, that does create all kinds of difficulties when you think about making differential policy changes that affect specific groups of migrants. Now, the, the, the next problem is, is a, has been well known for quite some time, but I think it's important to keep highlighting, is that the, um, I mean, for all kinds of reasons, but not least for the purpose of uh, allocating uh, central government revenues, we need, we need reliable data about the number of migrants at the local level. And we've known for a long time that we do not have very reliable data. I think work has been underway to improve the information we have, but basically the kind of data sources that we draw upon, um, Labour Force Survey, Annual Population Survey, were not designed to give detailed and precise information about numbers at, at the local level. So, um, so again, this is taken from the ONS. You see the bound 95% confidence interval, and you, you see for some, for some areas there are very big margins of error. So for East Devon, the central estimate of the number of foreign-born is 4,000, but the, the margin is as big as 4,000, so it could be zero, or it could be, it could be, it could be 8,000. I mean, this particular statistic was a winner, of course, with the media coverage, because that was quite interesting. Um, there's also figures where the lower bound is negative, um, but we didn't. I thought, we thought that might confuse people. Right, but if you go to East Devon and confirm one migrant, you can improve on the, the confidence <laughs> estimates here. So, uh, <laughs> um, public opinion. Um, so, what we know about public opinion comes from surveys and polls. And again, there are there are lots of limitations. Um, uh, aside from the sorts of errors I talked about, we're limited to what pollsters and academics <coughs> happen to decide to ask the public. So there, there are many things that we might like to know and don't know. The one I want to focus on here is, is about definitions and a possible mismatch between how the public sees migration and how the government, through its statistics, sees it. So the question of who counts as a migrant is surprisingly complicated, in fact, enough that we've devoted a, an entire briefing paper on the observatory site <coughs> to exactly this question. So we shouldn't necessarily expect members of, pub of the public to know how the government defines it or to share the same def definition among themselves. But when pollsters ask questions, you know, what do you think about immigration? Should there be more or less of it? Um, it's left entirely up to the person responding to this question to define it, usually probably just implicitly they have an idea of, of what immigration is and who migrants are in their minds but they're free to sort of define it on their own terms. And as I said, there's no good reason to, to think that public conceptions match up with statistical conceptions, particularly in light of um, the, the one of these I want to focus on uh, uh, of my list is the permanent temporary distinction, right? So um, in common language, in the Oxford English Dictionary, an immigrant is defined as somebody who moves to another country to settle and implies some, some amount of permanence. Whereas according to the United Nations and to the UK government and ONS, all you have to do is stay for one year to become a migrant. So I myself was a migrant long before I ever realized it. So this comes into play when we talk about certain groups uh, who are migrants according to the government and we don't really know if they're the migrants according to the public or the, the type of migrants 
that are the subject of public concern. So students, for example, we know that they comprise quite a large share of statistical migration. We don't really have a good sense of the place they occupy in the public conception uh, of migration. Um, impact on public services, I mean, arguably um, issues around public services have become much more important in debate than, than labor market issues. Uh, but again, we actually have uh, very inadequate data to assess the impact of immigration on public services in a systematic way. I think it's useful to keep in mind there's two types of impacts. Migrants are using public services, but also migrants are helping provide public services by uh, you know, working in the NHS, working as social workers, working as teachers, for example. Um, again, a key reason why we don't have systematic evidence on the impact of immigration on, say, the use of health services or education is that immigration status is typically not, um, information about immigration status is not typically collected at the point of, of usage uh, or of receipt of the particular benefit, so, so, so we don't know. Housing. Three issues, house prices, uh, rents in the private sector, but then, of course, also the provision of social housing. Most of the research, as far as we are aware in the UK, has focused on the housing choices that migrants make and the conditions of housing, uh, but less so on the impacts of, of immigration on prices, rents, and social housing. There has, there has been some research on impacts on social housing, but much less on, on house prices and rents. Of course, you know, with more people in the country, demand for housing goes up and the impact on prices and rents depends on the responsiveness of, of supply uh, of housing which might well vary across different regions of the country and there might be important interaction effects so for example if house prices and, and rents uh, go up uh, this might also have a knock-on impact on, on social housing because it might first of all drive more people uh, into social housing but it might also become more expensive for the public sector to provide social housing because they have they're facing higher prices and rents. So I think there's very, very limited research on, on, on the housing market itself. Student migration, so three quick points. One is on the uncertainty of numbers, particularly net migration numbers. So we have, with any type of migrants, we have discrepancies between, say, visas and IPS estimates. But a, a particular problem when you try to break down net migration figures by category is the IPS just doesn't work that way and doesn't provide that sort of data. So do we have a good sense um, of the possible range of inflows, but we don't have a good sense of exit data. And this also means that we miss the chance to estimate overstayers with any sort of reliable administrative data. Impact, I guess, a couple points. One that's not on here is that there are a lot of studies of the economic impact of international students at the university level, less so at the level of further education and language schools. Um, this is something we're actually looking into, so if anybody has sources that would be great, let me know. Um, and then surprisingly little is known about the impact of international students on the job market for British graduates. So This came up in discussions about closing the post-study work route, which lets people stay on or, or formally let people stay on for two years after graduation to look for a job, and there's not much um, known about whether that had an impact on the job market for British graduates. And finally, again, a familiar one, uh, but one I think that's important to, to, to keep highlighting is around irregular migrants. We have some estimates uh, about numbers, but we know there are all kinds of limitations. We have, again, more anecdotal evidence about characteristics of irregular migrants, but we don't know for certain you know, what jobs are they doing, what, pay, what wages 
are they being paid, what determines the wages and employment conditions that they experience, is it irregular migration status per se, or is it some other things such as their characteristics, and of course, what are their impacts on the labour market, but also you know, what determines how they themselves do in, in the UK economy.